Hello, I'm Morgan Rhodes. Oliver Wong is out this week, and you are listening to Heat Rocks. It's part of our Take Two segment on Mary J. Blige, and this week, we're diving into her 1992 album, What's the 411? I could easily just say that Mary J. Blige's What's the 411 is one of the most influential albums of the 1990s, defining the decade and helping to usher in a new subgenre, hip-hop soul. The album went triple platinum, pushing MJB from the limelight to lightsaber, and just last year was ranked number 271 of Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. I could just say that and be done, because this album is that great and doesn't need the nimble offerings of a fan like me to qualify it. But while it doesn't require more than this, it deserves more than this. Shout out to Roxy Music. And so I'll say that when considering this album, you must consider two key times in music history, pre-Mary and post-Mary. Post-Mary showed us what was possible for the marriage of R&B and samples. Post-Mary told us that R&B liked bad boys and hanging out at the club at night and maybe fighting a little. Mary showed us that perfect pitch isn't as sexy as perfect potential. And in 1992, when this album was released on Uptown Records after Mary's folks got a cover of Caught Up in the Rapture to the late great Andre Harrell, potential was ready. Among other things, this album affirms my long-held contention that one, voicemail messages and interludes are keys to a great production. Two, that Shaka Khan and Mary J. Blige can sing the same thing sweetly two different ways and both of the versions can be fire. Three, that it's possible to know and memorize every single run on an album as I have. Four, that an album can be timeless, on time, and ahead of its time all at once. This intro is shorter than most because I'm too close to this album to say much more. But if you have more to say, leave a message. What's the 411? Is a heat rock. All my love is all I have. And Grandpa is very special. All my life I look for you. And today your dream comes true. You need me and I need you. Grandpa is very special. Things just Naima Cochran is back with me to discuss this album. Naima, welcome back to Heat Rocks. Thank you for having me back. I'm ready for this one. Let's get into it. Indeed. <laughs> so we know what your introduction is to Mary J. Blige, but talk about your introduction to this album. Um, well, you know, I'll do my Sophia Patrol like picture it. <laughs> <laughs> 1992. I'm um I'm a senior in high school. And this is part of the soundtrack of that year, that year of transition, knowing that, you know, your what we thought at the time was about to be like our adult life is about to start, meaning going, you know, leaving home, going to college. Um, it, I was in a relationship uh, at the time and the, a, a newish relationship. And we both loved this album. Like we rocked this album all the time. And it just was. It was a fun time in R&B and it was a very youth oriented time in R&B. I'll say not not that there weren't always young people in R&B, but the subject material felt very relevant to us. Um, and Mary was just everything about her was just dope. Like the, the videos, the moves, the gear, her look, 
the sound, the music, if I had to name like a top four albums from that moment in my life, like this is this is probably one or two. I've told this story a lot um, because I'm always asked about, you know, seminal albums or albums that for me are, are heat rocks. And I'll pose the same question to you after this. But I came to know this album um, because I moved to Atlanta in 1992 to attend Clark, Clark Atlanta University. And I didn't live on mm-hmm. campus. I had my own um apartment uh yes yes a beautiful one bedroom (laughs) apartment uh and i had um a a three cd changer and Mm. i didn't have any friends yet when i first moved in and so all i had was me and the music and um, i had a bunch of cassette tapes um, but the CD changer and that that uh, that swivel was was so new and innovative to me. I was like, I got to take advantage of this. So the three uh, CDs that I had on there first were Mary J. Blige was the 411. I had mm-hmm. Walter Hawkins Love Alive because my mother was like, you got to stay spiritual out there. And I had um, a house album by Little Lewis in the world called Journey with the Lonely. And uh, just for old time's sake, Christian, if you could play a little bit of that Journey with the Lonely, just so I can hear mm-hmm just for nostalgia. So yes, house music, but what's the 411? Um, I'm so connected with it emotionally because as I said, I didn't have friends yet. It was just me and those three records. And when you only have three records, you play those to death. Right. And I played these to death. Right. And so needless to say, I'm glad you picked this one to talk about because I cried all the way through these songs and prep for the album because they were so precious to me. I learned all the words um, and every nuance and, and ad lib because I had to sit with that album um, for so long. And uh, But also, Morgan, I think like in this case, to be, um, if you were, I think, middle school, high school, college, or a young adult, did you did you not did you not know this album? I don't think anybody did not know this. Like it was it was impossible to miss. Mary was every, you know, the videos were everywhere, the music was everywhere, and it was such a strong time for Uptown Records. I I would be more curious to ask somebody like how did you not know what's the for sure one one in that era for because sure we it really was and, and album cycles were so like i said um when we were talking about the mary album album cycles were so long back then like we really got time to get into it for sure know? and because of the yeah. video play there was no way to not notice this album there was no way to not have your own personal jam on this album this one mm-hmm. just had everything for me because uh, there was so much solitude with me first moving there. So this yeah. was the thing that I went to in the morning. This was the thing I went to in the afternoon. So I I got to know this album so intimately, not just because it's a great album. It is a great album. And not just because it introduced most of us that weren't weren't around for 1990s, Father MC. Most of us met Mary J. Blige on this album. But for me, it just became mm-hmm. one of those personal, you know, island albums if you're stranded. And you have ten albums. I totally get that. What's the four one one is going to be part of that? Part of the canon of that.
what makes this a heat rock uh, for you? What makes this a classic album or a heat rock for you? You know, when we were talking about which albums we were going to discuss, um, when I talk about Mary, I almost always go to my life immediately because I do believe it's one of the greatest sophomore efforts of all time. Not just in terms of being a great album, but I think it's an, it's an outstanding second album, um, which is not always an easy thing to do. Um, but I thought about it and I was like, you know, as much as we talk about what we meaning music fans, Mary fans may talk about what's the 411 in passing, or we may talk about real love, or we may talk about, um, you remind me, I feel like we kind of skip over the body of work. That's, that's what's the 411. And it is such a solid artist introduction. Like I can't think I can't think of a lot. I'm not saying it never happens, but everything about this album from the production, shout out to Puff, from production to the song choices to, it really is like a no-skip album. There's a couple of of, of songs that are filler-ish, but there's not like a real, like, I'm pushing forward on this track. That's not easy to do. And there's nothing in this album that you would listen to and not still be able to connect it to the Mary that you hear now. And that also isn't that common to be able to go back damn near 30 years, you know, and, and say, or, or yeah, pretty much 30 years and say, I totally see how this artist is that artist. You can't do that with, with everybody and their music. Um, it, it's still, it's still Mary. It's still the Mary we know, even though she's evolved and, and expanded, it's very much still her. And and so I wanted to just go back and look at this as a as a foundation and, and the bricks that were laid here through this album and kind of and kind of take a little bit more time to walk through it than I think we usually do when we talk about Mary. hundred percent. I think by now we all know the story. 1988, Mary J. Blige records an, uh, an offhand cover of Nita Baker's Caught Up in the Rapture, the recording booth in the mall. She gets it to Jeff Red. Uh, a recording artist, A&R for Uptown. Red sends it to Andre Harrell. Uh, he meets the singer. He signs her in 1989. Fast forward to 1992. She releases this album. And my memory of this time is this album being a massive event album. Not just an album, mm-hmm. but a massive event album. And the event Correct. is the introduction of um, hip-hop and soul. It is the time. It's an extension of New Jack Swing. It is the time when hip-hop and soul have immediately married and that's what makes it that's what makes 1992 such a moment with this album and i want to ask you about 1992 and your experience mm-hmm. of hearing this for the first time what were your your first mm-hmm. impressions of hearing it i don't know if i remember the very first time i heard the album but just given what what the ritual was then my guess is going to be I went to the mall. <laughs> I, <laughs> I copped it plus whatever else had come out, you know, in that time. Um, and also I went to high school in South Carolina. So so we're playing music in cars, you know, everything. And I copped, I copped the cassette along with whatever else had recently come out um, and opened it and went through liner notes and lyrics and all of that on first listen. Because that's what we used to do. You right? you get it open, you sit. You play it start to finish and you sit there and look at all them liner notes. You read all the thank yous. You do all that, everything. Um, but I do know that even before having the album, 
we were already wanting to emulate Mary's style. So another reason that what's the 411 is personal for me is because I started Music Sermon inadvertently, um, my music series on Twitter, inadvertently based off of the 25th anniversary of what's the 411. Mm. Um, because a friend posted the Real Love video and I was talking about how hard we danced in the 90s. Like it was a workout. You had, you know, you had to be comfortable. You had to have some clothes you could move in. And you were, you could be cute, but there's a reason like everybody always had ponytails and baseball caps and all this because you were going to sweat. Like it was a lot, there was a lot to do. <laughs> there was a lot of work to do when you were dancing. You mentioned it being an event album and that intro, that leave a message intro. It, all of it is about how hype everybody is for Mary. Yo, Mary, I just heard your album is banging. Like, yo, Mary, I need you on a feature. Yo, Mary, I can't wait. You know, like it's, it's, it's to express how hype everybody was. And notably not R&B artists, only Christopher Williams, I think is the only R&B artist, but in the hip hop community to hear this Mary joint, right? And you're right. It was an event album. I I do wish I was in South Carolina at the time in high school. I wish I had been in New York to feel it here when it dropped, because I can only imagine like the buzz and the heat around it. Hey, Mary. What's up, Mary? <laughs> What's up, Mary? Yo, can you go take that trip to Pluto with me? What's up? Yo, give me a call later, peace. One of the things that I remember so much about, I mean, I was a video kid. I'm a Gen Xer like you are, so I lived for those videos. But my introduction to Mary and those videos was just the dancing. I knew this was a different situation because it was a lot of things in the shadows. Like I said, I'm getting an education about New York, about hanging. But to your point, my first impressions of this album came a lot, came the back way through the videos because I'm not just... In being introduced to Mary, but I'm int- being introduced to culture. I'm being introduced mm-hmm. to New York culture and what's that, what that's like. And to your point, the dance moves, I couldn't make the connection then because I didn't know, but I was like, they're dancing like at the beginning of, of Living Single. Mm-hmm. Now I know like- why, right? <laughs> but I remember thinking, I was like, they're dancing hard. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> it looks just like Living Single. Mm-hmm. Now we know in retrospect, that's the connection. You know what I mean? That's the connection yeah. uh, between... Big Les, and I found a clip of Mary. She's drinking something that looks like maybe a Snapple or something. Christian, if you right. could play that that clip, it's it's Mary J. Blige's Big Les, and there's another young lady, I don't know who she is, you might know, um, but it's an interview from Box Talk uh, oh, go, going okay. back. So. I was getting busy, y'all. I was getting busy. I was getting busy. I was getting busy. I mean, I saw, you know, like a rough of it, like a rough. And I mean, I thought I was one of the dancers. I mean, I was rocking steps and all. I mean, flowing the whole nine. How you doing? Well, I'm going to tell you this much about the album. I love it. And I mean, I feel that everyone can relate to this, men and women, because I mean, there's a lot of songs on there, you know, saying how men hurt us, 
but ladies, men hurt too. You know what I'm saying? And they can relate to that. Relatable content. I love it. <laughs> young Mary. You could tell young Mary. I love it. I love it. Young Mary sitting in the Jeep. And it's just so, I love the rawness of it because as they're filming, you know, you know how it is. Early video interviews. Somebody walks by and Mary's like, how you doing? You know what I'm saying? And right, goes, goes right. back to the conversation. But I love looking at Mary as a youth in those moments. I love the rawness of Mary. And I'm obsessed with some of these videos. Straight No Chaser. Mary new in the business. Mary with her homegirls talking about the business. And there's another short clip, Christian, if you can play. It's very, very short. And this is uh, 100%. Mary. Do you think that now that your record has, has done so well that there's record executives running around saying, get me a Mary J. Blige, trying to find somebody to fill, you know, your shoes? Almost definitely, but um, there's only one Mary J. Blige. I don't know. Can run out and get how many, whatever, how many girls, how many girl groups and turn their hat backwards and fix their hair like mine, but they'll never be me because I'm just, you know, me. And I don't act out Mary. This is Mary every day. But I mean, whatever. I mean, it's nice that they would want that they would want someone to look like me or be me. Thank you. I'm happy for that. But whatever. <laughs> you know. And we can't talk about this album without talking about the culture of 1992, specifically how mm-hmm. not just not just Mary J. Blige, but artists like Aaliyah and groups like TLC, Escape, were really rocking and embracing this whole look: the baggy jeans, the baseball caps, aesthetic. And I want to mm-hmm. dig a little bit deeper into the culture around hip hop soul, but I have to ask first: What were you wearing in 1992? So I was wearing um, also baggy jeans, Jabos, um, <laughs> yes, like polo. There was a lot of polo hill figure. There was a lot of polo hill figure in my closet. Um, I'll put it this way: My boyfriend used to steal clothes from me because all of my stuff was was huge. Like yes, like you, we wore our stuff sagging, we wore our stuff baggy. And then even going into 93, like you might switch it up a little bit. So maybe you have on a big bottom, but some maybe you have on like an oversized shirt, but some biker shorts, or maybe you have on some baggy jeans, but like a little lycra top, raw top situation, you know, but that, but that was the look. It was a, it was a mix of, it was a mix of tomboy and, and sexy and, a, and also like the mix of high and low, but it was very brand conscious. All my stuff was at structure, which was a men's store. And I had a, I had the I had the ponytail baseball cap game down. I had it <laughs> down pat. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, I relate to all that. I yeah. was rocking Jabot. My brother was rocking Jabot. Um, but yeah. but one of my homegirls was like a, you know, uh she was so so bougie and she was like I'll rock this with you, but I want to put these little trinkets on. So on our zippers, we had these little <laughs> shiny trinkets, you know. Right. Uh, she had to do that. She's so bougie. Um, but <laughs> she wanted to put those on. But sort of the baggy jeans aesthetic. And it's for those listening and those tuning in, it, it's just so important to know that not only was this a, an event album, but it ushered in the culture of hip hop soul. It wasn't just the sound of the mm-hmm. music, but also the dress. Heretofore, we didn't have um, singers that were singing soul that had on knee pads, back with baseball caps, the X caps, Correct. the cross colors. This started with this album and it started with Mary J. Blige. So we want to, we, when we talk about her as an icon, she's turned 50 this year. But when we speak of her as an icon and this album is an event album, what we mean is this is an album that changed the culture in many, many ways. The music, um, and everything, everything else. In black music, there are only four queens. This is what makes Mary exceptional. There's only four queens. 
Mahalia Jackson's the queen of gospel. Ella Fitzgerald's the queen of jazz, right? Uh, Aretha Franklin is the queen of soul. And Mary J. Blige is the queen of hip-hop soul. And if you think of the decades of right. black music, for her to be one of only four queens, that's major, right? And Mary was major. Most of these women eventually were crowned queen. Mary J. Blige. She was came, crowned from the door. From this album, she was just it, the queen of hip-hop soul. No other yep. candidates, no other conversations. I have some theories about why she might have been crowned at the beginning, but I want to hear your thoughts. Why, why you think she was given this title from day one? It felt like the genre... Well, I'm, I'm going to talk about Marianne partnership with Jodeci because what they both had in common was, aside from them both being from Uptown and coming from the same artist development camp around the same time and, and having the same teams around them to, to put this image together, they both had such raw emotion that we all recognized in their voices. Um, and the other thing about the 90s was that it, we were starting to get into an era where the track was more important than the voice. And so it was, we were we were still a few years away, but we were edging towards the super producer era. Um, and and we were, you know, it was, we were starting to get into a little more of the auto-tune and a little more of the... So you didn't necessarily have to sing anymore. We would get into that space. But they both had these voices, um, this, these the soulful... Uh, gospel-bred voices that we all knew and were familiar with, but that were being paired with these very contemporary current sounds and tracks and beats and looks, right? So you mentioned like Mary bringing the hip-hop soul in. I, I immediately think of like Misha Lay, who was just a couple of years prior and she got like a rayon suit in her, in her videos, you know, or, or something like that. Like you were, you were not getting, like you said, you were not getting this girl. She looked like she came off the block, but she was still giving you, you know, star power, which, which was important. And it was empowering. Like if you were, if you were a teenager who was dressing like that in school, like that's you on screen and, and R and B, even young people singing R&B, it looked like an adult genre visually. And now it looked like us. Now it looked like it looked like us. It matched us. Um, and I think that was really important. And and I think that the reason she was crowned out the gate is because it never felt unusual. This this pairing of her voice and and the sound and the look, it just it just was it just worked. It just fit. and. I, it actually took a minute for anyone else to feel as organic with it. I want to mention that I think what Uptown gave us, and then I want you to talk a little bit about the label from the label perspective, is what I think that they gave us with Mary J. Blige was the option to see soul music differently. So when we use words like game changer to describe Mary J. Blige, it's not a stretch because we know that's true because when you consider the sound of R&B music just one year before, like you mentioned Michelet, there was the suit. I also want to mention that there were shoulder pads in that suit. So it was a lot different. Of shoulder pads. It, was, it was different out there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was different out there. Yeah. Uh, but I just want to talk about some of the albums in 1991. Just I want to name check some of the big albums of just one year, 12 months before. We've got Mariah Carey, Emotions. You are the first thing. 
We got Shanice, I Love Your Smile. We got Tracy Spencer, Tender Kisses. Lisa Fisher, how can I ease the pain, right? And then Mary J. Blige shows up with real love. This is why Mary J. Blige is the queen of hip-hop soul. And what Uptown gave us was this package, this brand, and and this amazing genre. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about Uptown Records and just what Andre Harrell did when he did this thing. So the amazing thing about about Dre um, and Uptown is that, like I said with Mary, Uptown Uptown was Uptown. Like he he really couldn't have picked a better name for the label. Um, Andre is from Uptown. He's from the Bronx. Huff is from Uptown. He's from Mount Vernon. Heavy's from Mount Vernon. Uh, Christopher Williams is from the Bronx. Um, Albie Shore is from Mount Vernon. So you have these uptown artists, right? All these people from this area. So they bring this energy. And the thing about Harlem and Points North, which uptown is Harlem, the Bronx, Yonkers, Mount Vernon, is that um, even if you go back and watch movies from like the black exploitation era, you always got the sense Harlem, Harlem was a party place. Like Harlem was aspirational. Like you need you need to look the part. Uh, you need to play the part. You're spending some money. You're looking like some money. Um, you know, you're going to have a good time. You can be the, the, the most gangster gangster in the streets. But if you're in the lounge, the club, the bar, you're making sure everybody around you is having a good time. You're having a good time like that. That was part of it was part of having a good life. Right. Was was actually taking time to enjoy yourself and to enjoy fine things and to reflect to reflect the position that you're supposed to have. So the way that manifested in the street was, as Andre said, like, he was like, I might see a girl and she might have like this one Fendi bag. And that's, that's the only real luxury item she could afford, but she going to do her best to style around that Fendi bag to make sure that like that Fendi gets the, gets the attention it's supposed to to get and, and pulls the whole look together. And that was what he called ghetto fabulous. And what I think was amazing about Uptown, if you think about the fact that the origin of the label, at the time Uptown was founded, there was no other like just straight R&B home, not for young R&B. So the entire concept of Uptown was that you don't have to be really hard street rap or really certain kind of R&B that it can all flow together. The It was more about what does it evoke? Are you having a good time listening to this music? Are girls going to get on the dance floor? Are men, you know, are men going to be able to get a number? Um, Is it going to keep the party going? That was the ethos. Uptown gave us not just the option to hear soul differently, but the option to not feel like we had to conform for somebody else's acceptance. The the reality that like we set, we set the trend. This is us. And we can be us 100% and people will get it. And if they don't get it, that's fine because we're having fun. Like that, that's what Uptown really gave us. That's the legacy of Uptown for me. 
quick break and we'll be right back with Heat Rocks. Don't go anywhere. I'm Judge John Hodgman. And I'm Bailiff Jesse Thorne. Ten years ago, I came on Jordan Jesse Go and judged my first dispute. Is chili a soup? It's a stew, obviously. The judge has dispensed a decade of justice. He's the one person wise enough to answer the really important questions. Like, should you hire a mime to perform at your own funeral? After they cry, I want them to laugh. Do you really need a tank full of jellyfish in your den? They smell like living creatures decaying. (laughs) Only if they are decaying. Yeah, which they will be. Real people, real justice, real comedy. Winner of the Webby Award for Best Comedy Podcast. The Judge John Hodgman Podcast, every Wednesday on MaximumFun.org. Hey, it's Jesse. What you're about to hear is real. Hey, this is Chris. Hi, Chris. It's Jesse calling from Maximum Fun. Hey, Jesse. I heard that you got into a car accident. Yeah, I was listening to Stop Podcasting Yourself, and I just laughed so hard that I uh, slammed into a construction barrier. Do <laughs> uh... you remember what it was that was so funny? I will never forget, I'm sure. They started talking about Vegas and the, you know, if it happens here, it stays here, and that slogan. And then Graham was talking about, oh, you know, wasn't there some other slogan for another commercial? Oh, it was like a commercial for food and it said like whatever's in there stays in there i can't remember what it was clams or something (laughs) (laughs) clams just so ridiculous and man i got lightheaded i was laughing so hard (laughs) next thing i know (laughs) smash they are they are just brilliantly funny so i talked to dave and graham from stop podcasting yourself we would like to pay your car repair bill is that okay that, I mean, that would be super nice, Jesse. I really, I, I thank you. I appreciate that. Just in prep for the chat, and we always ask mm-hmm. guests to sit with the album again. As I asked you before on the Mary album, is there anything that you, well, two questions. First, did you listen to this in sequence in prep for the chat? Did you listen to yes. it cover to cover? Okay, okay. I listened to it cover to cover, and I listened to it while driving which is a different experience than sitting in your house listening to it, I think. Um, And I don't know that I had ever listened to this album this way. And I didn't have, I wasn't driving yet by myself when it came out when I was in high school. My life, I've been in the car with plenty of times. I don't know that I actually had ever listened to What's the 411 from beginning to end in the car. So that was was a different experience. When we were talking about Mary, the Mary album, I didn't mention that to you, but it, but Mary album to me is a car album. It's very mm-hmm. dramatic. It's very cinematic and it's very sweeping. And it feels to me like driving through LA, driving, you know, across the beach and all that kind that. of stuff. It's, it's very that, that for me. If you're bumping what's the 411 in your car, you have an agenda and that is to bump. You know what I mean? This is <laughs> right. your agenda. This is what you came to do. This is what you this is right. what you ha- have to do. It's to bump because it's bumps. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um are there anything that is there anything that stood out for you this time around listening that you might have missed first time? Yes. Around? Yes, yes, yes. I'm so glad you asked. I was waiting on that question. So two things. The first thing is that um like I said when we were talking about the Mary album when I first heard that or Mary's audition or, or the song that, that got um, Dre's attention was Anita Baker, 
I was kind of like, really? Mary and Anita? Okay. For some reason, I couldn't see it. But when I listened to Reminisce, it actually stood out for me that her phrasing choices are very often jazzy choices. Her phrasing ad-lib, she'll go on the minor keys, she'll kind of like, you know, play around a little bit. Um, and I, and I, was, I could hear the Anita influence. And then I got to Love No Limit. Mm, and mm. if I had to guess, I would say I had never heard how different she sounds on no, Love No Limit than she sounds on the rest of the album. If I had to guess, this, this might have been one of the first songs Mary recorded. And I say that because she stays in lower register. And, and it's like a very round, her voice is it's like a very round sound for her. Sure. More so than I hear her anywhere anywhere else um the other thing that stood out to me was just kind of like the sequencing you know we got the intro with the messages in the beginning and then we have like three more tracks before we get the actual quote unquote intro with Buster. So it's almost like we're going to give you a taste and then Buster's going to come in to, to set this up for you properly before we continue with the program, which I thought, which I thought was an interesting choice in sequencing. Um, and I'm not saying necessarily means anything, but I just, and I also found it curious that it was Buster, which was probably just a matter of him being in the studio and Puff saying, yo, come, come latest. <laughs> Um, cause that's how things used to happen. Like people just used to be in the studio and they'd be like, yo, come in here and do this real quick. Um, and bus used to be spending a lot of time in the same studio with them. And, um, so I think that might've been one of those stories, but I also just found it curious, like why bus and why like this far down putting that here? I thought that, I thought that was interesting as well. So just chill, you know what I'm saying? And relax like a little bit and just capture the complete emotional of Mary J. Blige. So mm-hmm. I got to ask you, because we're coming here and you knew this was going to come up. Yeah. What's your fire track on the album? If loving you is all that I have to do. I don't want to do anything else. I don't want to do anything else. I have to run that back like four times. <laughs> every time. I used to be able to hit Mary's notes on that song once upon a time. But I just, again... Like I said, the thing that we love about Mary is singing with is singing along to her songs. And part of that is because of, like you said, Mary's choices, the Mary-isms, the things that she does that we know are Mary's. Like I I don't know of another, I I'm I am that person who knows all the ad-libs, like even the part on the radio that you can't really hear because it's fading out. I know I'm still singing because I know what they're saying. I'm that person. <laughs> but Mary is special because I I'm trying to think of an album before here. That's not like new. That's like a woman. That's not new edition. Johnny Gill, um, Luther, where there are so many ad libs that you just know them. Like when they're coming, like you, you might just sing the ad libs to yourself without even singing the music. And the thing about I don't want to do anything else is that it's that it's it's the choices, it's her ups and downs, and it's 
it's them playing off of each other and it's the ad-libs at the end. Like it's so, I just love singing along to it. And I just think this is there as toxic as they were. Like if you want to do the Uptown Motown comparison, this is Marvin and Tammy. This is the Marvin and Tammy moment, you know? Salute to, mm-hmm. to you, Naima, if you was hitting these notes back then. Shouts I, to you, I sis. I could, I could, not so much that I could hit them accurately. I could get in that range. Let me let me reframe. Okay. I could get in that range. Um, But also, I think the other great thing about it is that Casey and JoJo are also kings of the ad lib and the riff and the run. So just putting those two together um, when they both mastered that part of the of the musical space so well just made so much sense. These are two, you know, uh, young, you know, singers in love. And the way that they mm-hmm. sing on this song um, is just so, uh, they, they just follow each other's lead. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's, they're very entwined in each other. They chase each other the way that they're singing this and just, yes. to, just to see it. She's touching his face and the, the VH1. So, yeah. so yeah, I felt a little bit like I was in their business, but I was glad to be there. Um, they I were fighting it. when they taped that too, which I think is an interesting element. And when and if you watch it back, knowing that you can see some of the energy between them is really like kind of like you imagine it might be her hoping they're good and him kind of be like, I'm just here so I don't get fine. Type <laughs> <of thing. laughs> we're not good. We're not good. Right. Because you yeah. can tell there's something palpable there. But yeah, it, it, it was likely attention because they, they weren't good at that point when they when they performed it live, which I think is why it's such a powerful um visual moment for sure this is hard for me i hate that Mm -hmm. i have to ask myself this question but i co-host this show (laughs) so i knew it was coming up uh but what it came down to was assuming that you don't listen to the album in sequence what's the first track that i would bump on high decibels and for me that is Mm -hmm. love no limit that Mm -hmm. is my fire jam on this album it's jazzy it's nice Mm -hmm. tempo it's vocally attainable which is important Mm -hmm. Uh, Mary dips into her low register, but she comes back. And when she comes back, I can sort of keep up with her. Um, is it the right. best song in the album? Maybe not. But for me, it's the song um, that I go to. And Christian, if you could just indulge me a little bit with a little bit of it. Baby, there's no need to tell you. As far as I can clearly recall, my love has been here for you. So you don't have to worry. Sacrifice my time. I make sure you satisfy. And there's no hard thing to the joy I'll bring. I wanna give you all my love. That's all I wanna do. Ooh-wee. <laughs> Ooh-wee. So That's the one for me that it gives me chills. It takes me right back to 1992, the moment of hearing that song. And for me, it's the song that for me centralizes why this album. Mary J. Blige's What's the 411 is a heat rock. If all I had was that one, 
um, this is the one? So mine, um, and I talked about this on Flower Bomb, usually what brings me back to what's the 411 as an album is one or two songs. If it's not, oh, I really want to hear, I don't want to do anything else, then it's um, changes I've been going through. And uh, it is, if we're especially talking about rocking something at, at high decibels, it's a breakup song and a song of pain and heartbreak, but also like an empowerment song, like a good written song at the same time, or at least that's the, that's what the combination of the track and, and her singing give you. And I just love all the places that the song takes you like there's heavy keys on it, but it's also such a heavy, hard hitting sample like it's such a great combination of like hard and soft. Why can't you tell me why we couldn't be together? Who can't you see what I've been going through? Don't wanna be with you, even though you wanna be with me. And you're dancing and crying. You're not sure and why. Dancing crying mad but also like getting it in it's 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 a great journey i'm so glad we're talking about this album because it is just um we naeem and i obviously love it but um, if you're listening to this and you have not bumped this album in a while, go back, rebump this album just to see what we're talking about. Or if you're younger, you know, what I'm realizing now is that there are so many people who have never listened to um, streaming era fans who have never listened to an album that wasn't one of their contemporaries, have never listened to it start to finish. Like you've heard tracks from it. Um, and I think one young lady even said that on Flower Bomb that she had never actually listened to yeah. either my life or what's the 411, like start to finish. And you like, I think you owe it to yourself if you really want to understand the album. Like you need to listen to the album. But what's the 411 is just I think it's also just an excellent example of if you want to know why Uptown was such a successful label and then why Puffy went on to to get his own label at such a young age. Part of it is because you were putting together projects like this, like it's so cohesive and complete. What's your favorite moment on the album or do you have favorite moments? Um... What's my favorite? You know what? I think what's the 411 is probably my favorite moment. It's it's just fun. And it feels so much like that time. Um, it feels so much like my life at that moment. What what my life felt like um sonically and in terms of the content I consumed and everything with that what's the 411 just sums that sums that up perfectly, I think. What's the 411, honey? What's the 411, honey? I got it going on. Hey, yo, I got it going on. Hey, yo, what's the 411, honey? What's the 411, honey? I said, I got it going on. Hey, yo, I got it going on. 
Yeah, nigga, what makes you different than the next nigga? Seen you last week and you couldn't even speak. You try to play like Mr. All of That, but now you're... My favorite moment on the album, because of the my aforementioned allegiance to mm. skits, interludes, and voicemails is leave a message. Yeah. That moment for me is like, you have got to be kidding me. This is fantastic. and it's Also, so- we couldn't even do that anymore. Nobody does... Even nope. with voicemails, you can't do that. You could not recreate a leave a message skit. It wouldn't make sense. You can't. You can't. We were talking. People would just text you. <laughs> exactly. And and yeah. I and I've said before, and I and and obviously I'm a music supervisor. I, I don't do A and R, but I have said before, if you want to improve the quality of some of these albums going forward, bring back voicemail skits and interludes. That's all you need mm-hmm. to take right. these albums to the next to the next level. What makes that track so special for me is not just that there are voicemails. But you're talking about some of the biggest stars of the time. You got Diddy starts it off. You got DJ Red Alert. Christopher mm-hmm. Williams, as you mentioned, sounding sultry and sexy. Jamie Foster Brown. Mm-hmm. Eric Sermon. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, me and my brother. You got Lo- have. Have. Me and my brother yeah. love EPMD. Andre Harrell saying, peace, I'll see you at number one. Which is like, what are you, are you kidding me? Right. Um, DJ Clark Kent. That for me is a moment. It synthesizes mm-hmm. early 90s um, hip hop. You've got all the cast of characters. It's the perfect, you know, we say all the time, it's not how you start, it's how you finish, but it is how you start mm-hmm. on an album. Yeah. Yo, Mary, this is Christopher Williams. Call me back because I just heard your album and uh, I'm really interested in you doing a duet with me. Puffy got my number, so get back with me, all right? This is Jamie Brown from Sister to Sister Girl. I just heard the record. I've loved it. I want to see you. I want to meet you and see how you vibe. Call me, okay? If you had to do a music sermon based around this album, but you decided to do something else and you were going to do a music sermon based on one song off of this album. So you just want to talk mm-hmm. to people about, about what's the 411 but you don't have the threads, the bandwidth to do the right. whole album. You got to do one song from the album. Which one would you do your music sermon about from What's the 411? I think it would be Real Love because I would want to dissect um, the song, the sample, the video, the dance, the look. Like I would, I would, if I that song gives me so much to do a deep dive on. Um, the, the background vocals, which also... That's another thing that really struck me listening to Mary as we were prepping the tape is that her backgrounds are always stacked. Those harmonies are always tight. Um, Again, just little nuances about her that I knew inherently from listening to Mary so long and singing along to Mary. But when you're really listening for these things, it's just like this is the arrangements always um, flawless, you know, that. Um, and, And just like we were saying earlier, that that juxtaposition between the the melodic swing of the song as a complete finished track and the rawness not just the rawness but like the historic um symbolic use of the top billing sample like top billing is like one of the most classic hip-hop samples yes that you can pull and i and i and they made very classic breakbeat choices with Mary early on. And I think that was intentional too. Like, we're not going to use just any tracks. Like, we're going to use some foundational joints. 
And I think that's important that they use such a foundational track underneath that song um, to, to bring this marriage together. I think that there's a lot of things to take away from what's the 411. We talked about culture. Mm-hmm. We talked about um, what it gave us in terms of hip hop soul and, and the introduction to Mary. For me, well, what's the 411 this album gave me, I'm thinking back to 1992, is it gave me company. Um, I was yeah. alone in Atlanta. I was lonely in Atlanta. And I felt like, um, and the point that I was trying to make on, on the pop compound is that Mary is a home girl. And it started yeah. for me in 1992 when she became my friend sonically through this music. And she gave me permission to be my authentic self because right. where, whereas I think that my life is sort of like revelatory Mary, right? And Share My World is renewed Mary. And Mary, that Mary album is resilient Mary. What's the 411 is raw Mary. This is Mary right. straight no chaser. This is Yonkers Mary. This is We Are Meeting Mary. To thine own self be true. So that's what what what's the four one one gave to me. It gave me company in that apartment, and also gave me permission to be uh, no less than my authentic self. So my question for you is: What, what do you think the four one one gave you, and what did it give us? I think um, you touched on something when you talked about the the culture of hip hop soul, because hip hop soul wasn't just a subgenre. It it was it was a culture. It was a lifestyle culture, which is the other thing Uptown gave us was lifestyle. So New Jack Swing gave me a a backdrop for my life because it very much did permeate into how we dressed and how we partied and everything. But like you said, Busta 411 took it even took it even one step further. And it was almost like it set a foundation for lifestyle, the idea of lifestyle reflected in music. It wasn't bubblegummy like Shanice, not, not that that's a shot. But it wasn't more grown like in Vogue's subject matter, which we loved it, but it didn't really reflect us. It it was that line of like a coming of age type moment. Um, so I think it, it really gave me like an album I saw myself in through and through. I think I think and and like a, a visual of, you know, a lifestyle like I have shortly, like you said, connecting the real love video to live in single, which was the first show we saw ourselves in like that, right? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 this was the album version of that, you know? And I do think, uh, you know, I 100% agree with everything that, that you've said and the way that we both saw ourselves in Mary and what neither you nor I knew then was that Mary J. Blige was on her way to being a global icon. Yeah. But in 1992, she was just Mary, which she keeps trying to tell us on album, I'm, I'm just Mary. But- just Mary is now 50 years old. She's a global icon. And why that's significant is so many artists, black women artists didn't, didn't get to make it to 50. Um, Aaliyah, Minnie Ripperton, Whitney Houston, yeah. uh, Phyllis Hyman. And so she is a portrait of survival, which is so significant. You know, here, here you and I are black women from two different coasts. And both, we've right. both grown up on Mary. We both can relate to Mary. We both sat right. around a whole popcorn panel singing, <laughs> singing her praises and it all started on this album. It all started yeah. on What's the 411 in 1992. So for me, this album is a heat rock because of what it started, what it yep. introduced us to, and, uh, and, and I'm thankful. Yeah.
If you had to describe this album, uh, Mary J. Blige's 1992 What's the 411 in three words, what would they be? A bop? Um, I'm going to say street. And I want people to be clear that when I say street, what I mean more is that feeling of the energy of, of hanging on the stoop, hanging on the street, being outside, not street, meaning like grimy or criminal or I just need to clarify um, but but that 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 street sensibility. Um, so street and um, I think it's a I think it's definitive. Can't you see? Pretty baby, can't you see that I wanna be with you? Well, we want to give some recommendations to our listeners, to our audience, um, things that you should listen to if you like this week's album and you should check out. And I'll go first. The panel that Naima moderated for PopCon called Growing Up Hip Hop, Mary J. Blige, The Making um, of a Queen. If you like uh, What's the 411, you should go back and uh, listen to the panel that we put together and you can find that on YouTube. But I also think you should go back to Intro's first album, 1993, uh, Jeff Saunders, Wyke, and Kenny Green. Um, I think you'll enjoy that marriage of hip-hop and soul, which came a year later. And you'll also mm-hmm. get into the voice and the pen game of Kenny Green, who wrote a lot of songs uh, for Mary J. Blige. But it is its own yeah, uh, hip-hop soul, a heavy, a little heavier yeah. on the R&B. But you'll get to see the synthesis of both of these genres, and Kenny Green was was a large part of that. What do you think listeners should uh, listen, check out if they like What's the 411? Um, I say if you like for, What's the 411, I would encourage you to go back and listen to some other albums of the era. So Guys, the Future, um, which came out around the same time. Also, like, really, really, really great album that I realized I don't revisit enough. And go back to, I would say go back to SWV's remix album um, as well. Just, just keep that energy, keep that party energy going, you know. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Heat Rocks uh, with our guest doing this special series on Mary J. Blige, Naima Cochran. This was so amazing to, to go back and talk about Mary J. Blige with you. And I, and I couldn't think of a better person to sit down. I am so flattered that you invited me to come and continue this conversation. I mean, I realized when we did the PopCon panel that there is so much to talk about with Mary. There's so much there. Like I could do another one. You know, like there's so much with her. And as much as she is celebrated, I do believe that we, that we, I believe we give Mary her flowers for who she is now. But I do believe that there's so many little things about her journey that we have forgotten that are worth revisiting. Indeed, indeed. We, we barely scratched the surface on Flower Bomb. And, uh, and I do hope 
um, that there will be, I know that there's a documentary uh, coming up. I think Amazon Prime is doing the documentary, so I'm excited to see that. I'm so glad it's a documentary as opposed to a biopic because I really want them to get that behind-the-scene footage. Uh, But I hope that that somebody, yourself, Naeem, or someone else, Mm -hmm. will, will, will write this book that needs to be written about why Mary J. Blige matters. Yeah, we, we, we need that. <laughs> You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits, engineers, and does the booking for our shows. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and our executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. On a more somber note, we want to acknowledge the passing of Double K, the other half of people under the stairs, who unfortunately passed away at the age of 43 at the end of January. Rest in peace. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.